welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca.
You ever feel like a song just gets you? You know, sometimes when I'm processing my own emotions and feelings, I, I can't even make sense of them for myself, let alone figure out how I might explain them to somebody else. And then I hear a song like the one we just heard, and it like pierces the depths of my soul. And even though it doesn't make everything better, uh, it makes me feel a little bit more understood, a little bit more known. You're probably familiar with this kind of thing, right? Whether it's a song or a movie or a story or maybe a poem, uh, you can hear or read or view these kinds of things and it's as if they're speaking the language of the soul. I remember hearing a quote one time. They said, "Um, you can't touch a song, but a song can touch you. I think there's so much truth in that. Um, Actually, that's one of the things I love about the book of Revelation, right? Uh, Right now we're in this series called Apocalypse, Hope in the Dark. And as we're working through this letter in the New Testament of the Bible, we're given images and words and and, and pictures. And what it does is it actually touches our heart. It actually speaks to our soul. It connects with us. For me, this whole idea of uh, you know, of, of songs in particular um, that connect with me. It's particularly true in times of sadness uh, and depression. I can think of certain moments in my life where I listened to certain songs over and over and over again because it seemed like nothing else in the world made sense except for that song. Like it was warming me in a certain kind of way. I think that the best songs ever written come from that place of like emotional rawness and candor, right? When they're just totally real with feelings. The last three years have been particularly difficult for me. Um, And so I've had a lot of time to think through what these songs uh, are like and how I need them to actually connect with me. Um, The last three years have included some of the most difficult and challenging things I've ever experienced in my entire life. Uh, Three years ago, we transferred or we we moved on from the church where I had been serving for uh, five years. And I had actually been in youth ministry for almost 12 years. And so I was transitioning out of the whole world that I knew into something brand new. At that church, we had community and just um, our kids were born there. There was so much connection and so much growth that took place there. And then uh, God called us and we moved to the well. And it was like starting all over in a totally new area of the city. uh, uh, We knew virtually nobody and it was all brand new. Uh, Add to that, my wife Sandra had just started teaching at a new school, and uh, it was a new grade, and uh, there's just a lot of pressure that comes with any job transition, and so her her stress and anxiety that was connected to that was weighing on me as well. Uh, More for her, but you know what it's like to care for somebody who's going through hard times, right? You feel it too. Um, More than that, we had a tenant at the time who was renting our basement and was emotionally abusive towards us and made our home, you know, this place that's meant to be a safe haven, um, a place that we actually dreaded being in. On top of all this, uh, the new role here at the well that I was stepping into was walking alongside uh, our friends over in Bolton, and they were at the beginning of what would become uh, one of the most painful and difficult years for them as a congregation, Uh, just over and over and over again, bad news and hurt and pain that they were experiencing. And, And while all this was happening, I was trying to hold it all together. You know, I was trying to be a good husband and a good dad uh, at home. I was trying to not screw up my new job. I was trying to pastor and care for a community that had been hurt and broken. And eventually all of this became just too much and I crumbled. The truth of the matter is it was always too much for me to carry on my own, but somehow I was able to manage for a little while, but then I just broke. 
And this past year in particular, I have been sitting under a really dark cloud of darkness. My therapist and my doctor tell me that this is coming from depression and burnout that's been stemming from vicarious trauma. Vicarious trauma is something that happens to people who care for others who have gone through a traumatic experience. And so what, what's happened with me is that in my uh, attempts to care for uh, the congregation in Bolton in their time of need, in their time of trauma, that's actually turned into a traumatic experience for me as well. And now Bolton, you need to hear me on this. Please hear me and know my heart. I am not blaming you for any of this. I think about you and pray for you every day. I have a kind of love for you and grace for you that I've never had for any other group of people, any other church, any other congregation. I've never had what I feel for a group like I have for you. And so just hear me that you did not do this to me. Our circumstances made this happen. And, and just like you need to heal, I need to heal. We need to keep healing together. So just, just hear me on that. But the honest truth is there's been suffering this past year. It's been emotional. It's been spiritual. It's even been physical. And the only thing I know for sure is that the suffering and the pain is, is real, that it's present. I don't know what each day is going to be like. I kind of just wake up and start taking steps and each day happens to me. And there's this dark depression that fills my mind with thoughts of uh, self-hatred. I have uh, very little self-esteem. Even when I have any self-esteem, it's, it's very little. Um, there are thoughts of uh, uh, very deep sadness. There's hopelessness. There's been thoughts of death. Not a day has gone by since I've returned to work from my sick leave where I haven't thought uh, about quitting. Um, that is something that I, every time I text or call VJ, uh, he's probably just wondering what's on the other end of that because this is what my life has been like. And it seems to me, it feels like there's an ocean of tears within me that are just dying to get out, desperate to get out. But the medication that I've been on to help me kind of manage my mental health has somehow blocked it up. And so I feel like I need to explode with tears. And there's so many reasons for so many tears, but they can't get out. And, and that's just really difficult. And if you could read my journal you'd probably be shocked at what you saw. First of all, you'd wonder, how is it possible that a pastor can use that much profanity in their writing? And, um, you know, sometimes in my anger and my frustration at my pain, uh, words and phrases that I'm not proud of flow out of the tip of my pen. Something else you might find shocking, uh, jarring, if you were to read my journal, is the way that I've asked questions and put accusations and the ways that I've cried out towards God. You know, I've asked questions like, why is this happening to me? Like, like did I deserve this? Is this a punishment for something? Are, are you doing this to me? Uh, God, do you like me in my misery? Do you have the ability to stop this? Do you even want to stop this? Can you even tell me what this really is that I'm going through, God? God, you said that you love me, but did you mean that? Do you mean that? Do you even care about where I'm at? Am I ever going to get through this, or is this just my life now? And maybe the questions and accusations like this are more shocking to you than whatever expletive you could think I use. Because I'm a pastor, right? Like, aren't I just supposed to have hope and faith in God no matter the circumstance that he'll carry me through? But, but the truth of the matter is I'm human, right? We're, we're humans. There's nothing particularly special about pastors. We're people. 
And so we go through suffering, we go through pain, and we ask these kinds of questions. And I'm sure, I know actually, that there are many of you who ask questions like this in your own life. And, and when we ask these kinds of questions, we're not really in search of a philosophical answer or a theory that might help explain away our pain. Because these are questions that are not just things we think about. These are things that we feel, that we know, that we're experiencing. And so a textbook answer doesn't really resolve anything for us because it's trying, the questions are trying to get at something else, something deeper. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, then you know that we're working through a series called Apocalypse, Hope in the Dark. And, and, as, uh, we're, and what we're doing together is walking through uh, the New Testament letter of, of, the, of Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible. And, and we're not reading it or teaching it or working our way through it so that we can learn some cool Bible facts or that we can you know, unlock some hidden secrets. But rather, we're studying Revelation because we're looking for hope. I need hope, you need hope, we all need hope because we are so familiar with the darkness that surrounds us. The darkness we see in our own lives, in the lives of the world at large, in the lives of our community. Uh, we, we see darkness and man, do we ever just need like a flicker of light in the darkness to give us some hope that might help us make sense of everything that's going on. And Revelation does this. Uh, Revelation actually gives us that flicker of hope. And, and actually what we're going to continue to see as we move through this series is a lot more than just a flickering candle in the darkness. It becomes this big, glorious, beaming light of hope. And, and I want to level with you and say that for the next three weeks, uh, we're going to be kind of wait, be wading into um, some of the heavier lifting of the series. Um, that doesn't mean it's any more significant than anything else we've ever talked about. The truth of the matter is when you open up the Bible and try to prayerfully apply it to your life, it's, it's all significant. But what I mean is these next three weeks, the subjects that we're covering are a little bit like darker, uh, a little bit heavier. Some of you might even say like a little scary. Uh, next week, we're going to be looking at the final judgment of the world. The week after that, we're going to be looking at Satan, the, the enemy uh, of God, our own enemy, the one who hates us and, and the power that he has and the influence that he has in the world. And today, we're going to be talking of the subject of suffering. And I just want to level with you in that as we're moving through these subjects, some of them might seem like a total bummer like a total downer. Um, they will certainly be filled with what I believe are sobering truths, but, but don't shut us off, okay? Don't, don't give up. Keep connecting with us because remember, we're, we're searching for hope in the darkness. And even though some of these things might reveal to us the darkness that is around us, there is still hope. And it's not hope that's found in any neon sign God that we make. It's hope that is found in Jesus, the living God. And that's what we're going to discover together. Remember this too about Revelation, that it's not meant to be read like some sort of textbook. It's not meant to be read uh, as something that offers theories or philosophical explanations for what's going on in our lives. Instead, what it does is it gives us pictures and words that are meant to connect with our soul, draw us in, and connect, with our heart, connect our hearts to the heart of God. And that is where hope is found. That's where we can grab onto hope when we see the heart of God. And what we're going to see today, as Kayla Pack from our Vaughn site reads scripture for us, is that scripture is not afraid to be honest with the reality of pain and suffering that's in our lives. So let's listen in together. 
When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge your blood? And each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed, just as they had been. Sound familiar? How long, God? When is this going to end? When are you going to act? When is, when, is the stuff, when is the suffering going to stop? Right? It, it sounds familiar to us because that's the kind of questions we ask when we're in the middle of pain and suffering. Right? These are the kinds of questions that you cry out, that you scream out when you are feeling depressed when you're battling imbalanced mental health. These are the things that, that we wonder and that we cry out to God and say, what, why, what, where were you when that friend was betraying me or deceiving me, God? When a friendship falls apart. These are the kind of things we say when someone dies too young or someone that we love dies at all. When you're given a medical diagnosis or someone you love is given a medical diagnosis and your entire world is flipped upside down, God, where are you? When you've lost your job and you can't find any leads and it seems like nothing is coming together, you're saying, God, do you even care about my situation? When your family seems to be falling apart, you have children that won't talk to you anymore. When, when, you're, when your marriage seems to just be going further and further apart, you're saying, God, how much longer is this going to go on? When, there's an, when you're being abused and you're desperate to escape it, but you don't know how you ever could or, or if it's ever going to come to an end, and you're saying, God, do you see me? in this? God, are you ever going to stop this? These are the kind of things we cry out when we're being ridiculed for our faith, when our own family won't give us a seat at their table because of our faith in Jesus. They want to disassociate with us and have nothing to do with us. These are the cries. These are cries of anguish. These are cries of, of longing. These are, these are prayers that are saying, how long, God, is it going to be like this? You know, the Bible does not hide the suffering and pain of humanity. All throughout the grand narrative of Scripture, over and over again, we see people in difficult times crying out prayers like this, these how long, O God, kinds of prayers. Prayers that are cried out and seem to be met by the deafening sound of silence. But what we're going to discover as we move into Revelation, in, into our chapter of Revelation today, is that it might sound like silence, but it's actually there, it's not met with silence. We actually are met with a message of hope when we cry out in pain. So we've got to remember that Revelation, right, is a dream. Uh, it's a vision. It's an image, a picture that God gives to John. Now, John uh, was one of the original 12 disciples, one of Jesus' first and earliest followers. And at this point in his life, he had been exiled to an island off the west, uh, off the west coast of Turkey. And the reason he had been put there is because he uh, would not stop talking about Jesus. Everywhere he went, he was trying to lead people to the truth and grace of Jesus. And so um, one thing we actually know about John is he's the only one of the original 12 to die of old age. Judas, um, with the exception of Judas, who took his own life shortly after betraying Jesus, um, the rest of the uh, disciples uh, went out throughout the world telling the whole world about Jesus and his grace and his message and his love and, and the gospel. And as they did that, they all suffered and were ultimately martyred 
for their faith. And so we know that um, some of the disciples were crucified, some of them were beheaded, some of them were stabbed with spears multiple times to the point of death. James, the brother of Jesus, was clubbed to death. Um, They threw stones at him and clubbed him until he died. One of them was burned to death. Um, They would not, they were so overwhelmed and so overtaken uh, by the good news of Jesus that they went wherever they could. And as they did that, they refused to bow down and worship any other gods. They said, there's only one God. There's only one emperor. There's only one leader. His name is Jesus. And as they did this, they suffered and ultimately died in uh, for their faith. And so what we have here is John in his old age, somehow he's had his life spared, right? They didn't kill him. They just exiled him to the island of Patmos. And, and while he's there suffering in his own way, God gives him this revelation. And at this part of the vision, he begins to see this scroll that's filled out on both sides. And the scroll has seven seals on them. And the scroll is then opened by Jesus. This is what he's seeing. The scroll is opened by Jesus. And one at a time, Jesus is removing these seals and reading each and every one of these individual parts of the scroll. Uh, So I think of this as like a seven-point sermon that Jesus is giving to John. And in this sermon, he's explaining the whole salvation plan that God has for the history of the world. What's happening or what's happened, what's happening, and what is going to happen in the future. And and what's happening in this particular part, when the fifth seal is removed, it says that John saw that under the altar, there was the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. And so the altar here seems to be alluding to the place in history where sacrifices were made uh, as worship offerings to God. So if you read throughout the, the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, what you're going to see is there's this sacrificial system that God set up. And basically, his people were instructed uh, to take the, the, the first uh, born, like their healthiest animal, and the first picks from their crops and bring it to the altar. They would spill the blood of the animal as a sacrifice for God, and then they would burn it all up, and the, the smell and the scent would go up to God, and they would say, you know, we trust you, God. We want to worship you. We're going to give you that what's so valuable to us because we're saying in our offering, you're more valuable to us than even the best of our crops, right? And this is the system that was set up. And so this picture that John is getting here in the Revelation is that there are people under the altar. And this makes sense because we're told that these people are martyrs. Martyrs are people who suffer and die in faith and for the faith. So we could look at this and say that these are people who gave their whole lives, even to the point of death, as an act of worship, as a sacrifice for God. And now they're in the presence of God, in heaven we might say, and yet they're still calling out, how long, sovereign Lord? How long, O Lord? And so we might be, asking ourselves, how can this even be? If they're in the presence of God, right? If they're in heaven, how can they still be calling out these how long, oh God, kind of prayers? An area of Christian theology that might be a little confusing is this whole idea of heaven and earth and the new heaven and the new earth. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, I spoke about the new heavens and new earth uh, from Revelation chapter 21. And, and there we see the promise that there is going to be this time and space. God is going to do this work when there will be no more pain, no more suffering. He'll wipe away every tears, God, every tear. God will, will live, on, uh, live on our street like a neighbor, right? He'll dwell among us. People will live in perfect love and unity and harmony with one another and with all creation. Everything is going to be made new. And, and all of that 
is absolutely true. All of that absolutely is going to be in the new heaven and the new earth. This is something that is not yet. That's not heaven as we think of it right now. That's the new heaven. And so it seems to me, based on this portion of the revelation, that in the current heaven, somehow there is still mourning and there's still crying of tears and there's still the how long, O God, kind of prayers. Now, don't let that derail you. I know that that might, for some of us, just be like a, a bit of a bomb that just went off. Don't let that derail you. Stick, stick with me. I'm going to make a little bit more sense of this whole dynamic a, as we continue on. Another thing we have to remember is that when it comes to the subject of, of everything we see in Revelation, th- there is mystery. You know, Vijay said earlier on in the series that in order to uh, fully understand or, or make the most of Revelation, we have to learn to love the word like, right? And so there is some mystery, uh, but that doesn't mean that there's uncertainty, Stick with me. I'm going to try and make sense of all this. There's some mystery, but it doesn't mean there's uncertainty. So these martyrs um, in, in the vision, at this point in the vision that John's getting, it says, they're saying, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? It says, then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer. So they're saying, God, how much longer is it going to be until you vindicate us? How much longer is it going to be until you avenge us? God, um, we suffered on earth, and now there's still other people, your, your people, God, that are following you on earth, and they're suffering. When are you going to stop it? God, we know that you're a just and holy and perfect God. When are you going to bring that about on earth? When are you going to bring about the new heavens and the new earth? So, so what this is, is they're crying out saying, when is the suffering going to end? And these are prayers, yes, of anguish, but really they're prayers of, of longing for God to bring justice to earth. And Jesus responds to them. And he says, wait a little longer. Wait a little longer is actually better translated as rest a little longer. And so what Jesus is saying to these martyrs that are in the presence of God in heaven that are still um, calling out these, cry, these praise, prayers of anguish, um, it, what he's saying is, uh, it says that he, they were given white robes and they were told to wait a little longer. And, and, and that might sound like silence because it's not necessarily the answer we would expect to hear. It doesn't necessarily sound like the most hopeful response. But the truth is, it is hope. It's not silence. It is hope. It says that they were given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer. As you continue reading through Revelation through our daily reading plan, as we work through it, we're going to get to chapter 20 eventually. And in chapter 20, it's actually going to tell us about a group of martyrs that were beheaded. Okay? The group of martyrs that are crying out, how long, O Lord, right here in the chapter that we're looking at today in chapter 6, it's, it's those martyrs. So what we know is that these martyrs were beheaded for their faith. Now that is gruesome. That is horrible. That is a bloody, messy, disgusting, terrible, horrible death, right? And yet, here, the way that they're pictured is in white robes. And this tells me and tells us that the white robes they are receiving means they have been cleansed all of all the blood that was shed. Their own blood had been cleaned off. They had been purified of every stain that the natural world had left on them. And now, they're able to rest in the presence of God, as they wait for the new heaven and new earth one day. And so even though they're crying out uh, prayers of anguish, 
about what is still going on in the world, they're at rest in God, with God, under his altar. And so this may not be the new heavens and the new earth, but they are at rest. They are at peace. They are in the presence of God. They have been given that white robe. They are not suffering anymore, but they are able to see what it's like to not be, with, what it's like to be without suffering. And they're saying, God, when are you going to bring that to the world for everyone else? That's where the cries come from. They see that it's still happening and they're crying out in worship, mind you, and saying, when are you going to bring this to an end? And that's their, under the altar, is interesting because the altar is where worship takes place, right? That's what the sacrifices were all about. You brought that as an act of worship to God. The altar is the place of worship that is in the presence of God. That's where worship happens. And so these cries of anguish and longing are included in their worship to the God whom they suffered and died for. And so this tells us that these prayers, how long, O Lord, are actually meant to be a part of our worship. And this is meant to give us hope. It should give us hope because it means that even though there is still suffering right now, God has not lost sight of us. We're able to rest in him and his promises, even though things might seem impossibly hard for you and me right now. So you might be asking, well, okay, well, what about suffering that is not martyrdom? Right? Does that, does that still count? Like my suffering, you know, you might say my suffering is not, is, is not martyrdom. I'm not dying for the faith. It's, it's something else. And so does it count? And yes, yes, so much yes, does it count? It definitely counts. See, all suffering that anyone experiences stems from the brokenness that has plagued our world. Shortly after God created, actually, we don't know how much, how long after God created. When he did, he lived in perfect harmony. People were living with him. It was this beautiful, wonderful, harmonious thing. And then humanity, the creation that he had made to live in harmony with him, rebelled against him. And when they did that, sin and brokenness and pain and suffering and death impacted and infected every part of the creation, which is why, the way, why we need to one day have a new creation because this current one is the old one and it's broken and, and, and just needs to be made new. And so right now, all of the suffering that is experienced is because the world is broken and not as it should be. And the types of suffering that uh, exist are far too many for any one person to answer or, or, or recite, right? Like physical, emotional, spiritual, relational, mental. The list can go on and on. And so, yes, we're we cry out in our suffering right now, like those who read here. And right now we feel like all we can say is, God, when is this going to stop? When are you going to put an end to all of this? When are you going to bring about the promises that you have for us? Do you know how many times in the Bible there are prayers like this? Prayers of, when are you going to stop this? When are you going to rescue me? Are you even there? Stories of, how many times there are stories of suffering? Stories of anguish, stories uh, or, or songs and poems even written where people are feeling completely deserted and misunderstood or not even seen by God. Do you know how many of them there are? Me neither, but there's a lot. They're everywhere. And that's the reality of all people and even people, the people of God. We trust in him and we believe that he is one day going to make all things right. But in the meantime, as we're suffering, we can cry out to him. Just like the martyrs cried out in his presence under the altar and brought those cries, and that, those cries were part of their worship, our cries are not meant to be left out of our worship. Rather, they're meant to be included in our worship. 
get this, it honors God when we're honest about our suffering and pain and when we bring it with us into our worship. This is why I'm sharing my story with you and bringing it into this space here. It's not because I'm like interested in a pity party. It's not because of any of that kind of thing whatsoever. I'm also not interested in just dumping a bunch of burden on you and making you go, oh boy, you know, I'm not trying to do any of that. Instead, I'm trying to model and actually live out myself what it looks like to bring pain and suffering into our worship. You know, when Jesus invites us to come as we are, what he means is however we are. We don't leave our suffering behind. We, we can't leave our suffering behind. It's a part of us. It's in us. And so we're meant to bring it with us. We can't leave it at the door. It comes with us wherever we go to the altar. And, you know, truthfully, uh, our Christianity that most of us have been exposed to here does a really bad job of helping us understand this, right? There is a major overemphasis in songs and books and even in churches and preaching, uh, a major overemphasis on joy and celebration, far more than there is uh, a realistic realistic, um, revealing of what suffering and pain is. I told you this would be a bit of a downer, right? Uh, and I'm not saying we get rid of all those songs or anything like that, because the truth is there is so much joy to be found in God. But when all we do is sing about God, you know, I'm so happy because of what you did for me, and da-da-da-da-da, what it does is it actually robs us of the real pain that we're feeling inside. And, and we've actually been groomed or trained in such a way to think that we need to be ashamed of our suffering and ashamed of our pain, and that God wants nothing to do with that. And you're not supposed to bother other people in the church with that. Keep it to yourself. That's all a lie. That's not true. It's part of us. And so we bring it with us into our worship. You need to hear me on this. Jesus is not afraid to hear about your suffering. Jesus does not want you to keep it to yourself because, I know this because, I know that Jesus understands our suffering because he suffered too. Jesus chose suffering, right? This is the great truth of God's love for us. In Jesus, God chose suffering, right? Jesus lived with anguish and pain and stress. There were people plotting to kill him for three years, and they weren't particularly quiet about that. There were people who questioned every single thing he said and everything that he did. His identity was questioned over and over again. He was uh, tempted and tormented by Satan. He was betrayed by his best friends, turned over to the people that would ultimately kill him. And when he was hanging on the cross, his friends and his family, his earliest followers scattered and disassociated with him. He was abused and tortured. Jesus, while he was in the process of being tortured and, and, and crucified, they stripped him naked and mocked him, meaning Jesus was sexually abused. And we're told that the Roman guards mocked him until they couldn't mock him anymore. And they sold off his clothes. And then Jesus died an excruciating and horrible death. Jesus suffered. And so Jesus does not just see your suffering. Jesus knows your suffering because he suffered too. And this is why you can trust him. 
This is why you can put your hope in him. This is how you can know that he is the loving God that he says he is. Because in his love, he chose to suffer so that he might identify with us and understand us and actually suffer alongside us. Every other world religion and worldview talks about how any type of suffering is actually evidence of weakness. So how could God possibly suffer? If God suffers, then God is not all-powerful. God is weak and therefore not God. Or they'll say that pain is something to be um, uh, to be ignored, or, we, or it's not actually there. It's just like a figment of your, it's, you know, a figment of your imagination, or whatever they may teach. But Jesus breaks this whole thing and flips it all upside down. Jesus sees your suffering. Jesus knows what your suffering is like because he himself went through it. And, and more than that, we can hope in Jesus to one day make our suffering, uh, to redeem our suffering because he is now victorious over suffering. He was raised again from the dead. He conquered and is victorious over death and all of the things that made him die. And so knowing that he is the one who's going to do that work in our life, that's where we find our hope. And so even though we are suffering right now, Jesus is saying, just wait a little longer. Just rest a little longer. And, and that respond might sound like silence, but it's not. It's hope because rest a little longer means it's not going to be like this forever. It means it's not always going to be like this, just a little while longer. And in the meantime, Jesus is saying, you can rest in me and I'm going to take care of you. More than this, rest a little longer doesn't mean that we're on our own. It's his invitation to rest in him and with his people right now. While we're waiting for the not, for the not yet, for what's going to come next, we can rest in him right now. So if you're suffering, then, then here are some things that you need to consider. And, 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 and I think in, in some way, we're all suffering something. The first question is, is your rest found in Jesus? Right? He, he invites us to come, for him, come to him for rest. And so... Will you receive that rest as a gift? Will you give him your suffering? Will you actually be honest? And maybe for some of us, we have to ask the question, have I been honest about it? Have I thought that maybe I need to be ashamed or, or, or maybe I am ashamed? Or, or has it been, um, have, we, have you been saying, no, oh, you know what? Jesus suffered I, and I can bring everything to him, including this. And I get that this is hard. It's part of what we've been taught inadvertently or sometimes explicitly that we need to be ashamed of it, but you don't. Jesus can handle it. Jesus wants to hear it. So are you being honest with your suffering and your pain to yourself? Are you bringing that to God? Have you shared it with somebody, other, with somebody else? Are you inviting other people um, to suffer alongside you and suffer with you? That's actually what it looks like to rest in Jesus right now is to have other people waiting with you in it. Maybe some of you, um, are, are your, your, your soul or your heart is being warmed because Jesus is revealing to you right now that he is your source of hope. And you need to respond even for the first time and just say, Jesus, I got questions and uncertainty, but I also have pain. But right now, I'm, I'm going to choose to trust you and follow you and receive that. And what happens when you trust and follow Jesus is um, hope is then infused within you uh, in like a supernatural way because God gives us his Holy Spirit and that actually enables hope to kind of come out of us all over the place. Even when it's dark, we get to see that light within us. Hear me that you don't have to suffer alone. Share your suffering and pain with others so that we can wait with you and be with you in your suffering. And then there's a note or a message to those that are walking with those who are suffering. And, and again, in a similar kind of way, we're all walking with somebody. Um, know this, that, not, that nobody is an expert in caring for others. 
Um, we're all kind of just trying to figure it out, okay? No one has a corner on the market when it comes to suffering. And, and, and the reality is when it comes to caring for others or walking with those uh, that are suffering, we're, we're, most of us are pretty bad <laughs> at it, my, myself included, right? Because we want to give wisdom. We want to give insight. We want to say, have you tried this or have you tried that? Or, or sometimes, we, we say, um, sometimes we say things like, oh yeah, well, my friend went through that and here's what they did. And have you tried this? Or even worse, what we do is we try to like do this one-upping kind of contest and we say like, oh, you think that's suffering and pain? Well, you got to hear about my suffering and pain. And it actually ends up with nobody being affirmed at all in any of their suffering and pain. And that is not at all. And like, can we just stop all of that? We need to just stop all that. Instead, can we be people that validate one another's suffering? You know, people that acknowledge that, that it's real and it's different for every person? Can we become people who learn to love those that are suffering by sitting with them in silence and quietly listening as others share the pain that they're going through? Can we be people that share the hope that we see in revelation with each other. You know, that message that is sobering and yet hopeful, the one that says, yeah, things are broken and no, it's not supposed to be like this, but also in Jesus, one day it's not going to be like this anymore. And so we're not very good at suffering with others because we don't really know what to say or do. And so what I'm going to do is tell you now what we're going to say and what we're going to do. You are going to be willing to share your pain and suffering with others. And as they do that, here's what you're going to respond and say. You're going to say, Jesus sees you, I hear you, and we're going to wait a little longer with you. Jesus sees you. He knows what it's like. He's been there. He gets it. I hear you. So this is affirming their pain. This is not trying to fix anything. It's just sitting beside them and loving them and saying, I hear you in this. We'll wait a little longer with you in your suffering. Is saying, this is bringing the promise of Jesus to the person you're walking with, right? I, I, the way that we're going to be able to understand and know and, and feel how Jesus waits with us and rests with us and suffers with us is when other people with skin and bones actually do that alongside us. And so we'll do that. Jesus sees you. I hear you. We're going to wait a little longer with you and then pray. And you're going to pray prayers of waiting, prayers of anguish, honest how long, oh God, kind of prayers. Not prayers, you know, where you try to sneak in your little snippets of wisdom and, you know, maybe if we just, you know, maybe their suffering will end if they just walk three kilometers every day. We're not going to try and add any wisdom or insight. In it. We're just going to say, God, this is not how it's supposed to be, but I believe you're going to do something that will one day rescue us from all of this. Church, we can be people like this. We need to be people like this. I believe we want to be people like this. Not people who put on a, you know, who, who live out a facade where everything is just fine, but people who are real honest say, you know what, I am not doing okay right now and I need someone to support me in this. Hear me on this, church. Jesus has not left us. Jesus is not silent. He's waiting with us. You can hope in him. And I'm, I, I, I am hopeful that he is going to continue to make us a community that is, that is known for our willingness to be real and honest and walk with people in their pain. Church, I believe that Jesus is doing this in us and we can do it together. I love you so much, church. Hear me on that. And uh, I'm going to just pray for us now, actually. Jesus, just a, a prayer of hope. One that says, yeah, I'm hurting. One that says, I need help but also a prayer that says, Jesus, I know you see me. 
I know there's others around me that hear me. Make us people who desire to wait with one another in suffering and not just pretend like everything is fine, but Jesus, make us people like you who are suffering servants to one another. Jesus, we we ask that you'd make us these kinds of people. In your name, amen.